as God curses the serpent, of course, in verse 15 of chapter 3, he also says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. He will strike his heel. And right there, as the world is spiraling out of control, as Adam and Eve are hiding and blaming and pointing fingers, God gloriously points to the fact that he's going to provide a solution. That though through the offspring of the serpent, the offspring of the woman, there will be continual hostility. And though there be hostility, that as the serpent strikes at the offspring of the woman, he will only be able to inflict its heel, his heel. But he will actually crush the head of the serpent. And that is the messianic hope, the messianic promise. That's the first glimmer, glimpse of hope we have in Scripture of the fact that Messiah will one day come that we know has come in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And of course, the glorious good news is because he's God come down, because his sacrifice is perfect, because his atonement is accepted by the Father, anytime any one of us ever comes and confesses our sin to God, God completely entirely forgives. Is that not good news? No child of God no person ever entering the kingdom ever comes to God requesting forgiveness and have God say no. God never says no. God gloriously, wondrously lavishes love and grace on those that come for forgiveness. He loves to forgive. He loves to welcome children back into his fold, those that have wandered off. He loves to welcome those into his fold for the first time. And we can all say with thanks that we're thankful that then God declares that there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm going to transition from there. I'm going to walk up here just for a moment. And as we do so, we also want to acknowledge that then God has a plan. That the plan doesn't just end there, but God begins to work marvelously through human history. God starts working through the line of Adam and Eve. Cain kills Abel, but God still has a plan in providing Seth. And as Adam's line goes on, the sinfulness of humanity reaches a pinnacle where God wipes out humanity by flood, saving Noah, who's blameless and righteous, Noah's wife, and their three sons and daughters-in-law, so eight in total, through the ark. God begins again with covenant, letting them know that never by flood again will he destroy the earth. But the earth continues in its sinful rampage against God. And God graciously and lovingly still is determined to save a people for himself. And so in Genesis 12, as we come to these verses and looked at them a number of months ago, God calls a man. The Lord had said to Abram, the Lord God, sorry, said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God's plan continues and God calls a man, Abram, to himself. It's a messy calling. I mean, God's calling is perfect, but Abram's life is messy. Abram doubts God. Abram wavers in faith. Abram, as he's, as he's walking through this, calls his wife, his sister, twice. Laughs at one point when God says, you're going to give birth. And he's, 
in his later years, finally at 100, giving birth. He takes a maidservant onto himself so that he can start his own line in Ishmael's board. And there's all this mess. And yet God doesn't give up. And through that, Isaac is raised up, his son. Isaac then, again, walking with the Lord, wavering in his faith at times. He does the same thing as his dad, calls his wife his sister. And you see Isaac wavering in his faith, but God is faithful through this. And then God graciously, after Isaac, calls Jacob. Jacob, who was the younger of Jacob and Esau, the twins. And then Jacob, again, wavering in his faith, trying to take the birthright to himself, lying to his dad, deceiving his father-in-law, marrying one sister through the deception of his father-in-law, taking on the other, but then also taking on two maidservants, so in essence, having four wives, and his life is just entirely messy. And yet God chooses through the lives of Isaac, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to bring through them the Messiah, messianic seed, hope of the world, Jesus Christ. Because God works through mess. Is that not good news? Are you not glad that God still works through mess? Because our lives are a lot like their lives, aren't they? I mean, the last time I checked on my life, it's just not a perfect life. And I mess up and I sin and I get frustrated and I say the wrong things to my kids constantly. Amy's very good at pointing out when I do that. And constantly in correction mode. And yet God is gracious. He graciously still chooses to use us. He graciously still chooses to move and act. I mean, as you've gone through Genesis, I hope you can see the goodness and grace of God. I remember at one point, Marcio said to me, he said, Pastor, you've ruined the story of Abraham for me. Do you remember this? But he says it's a good thing. He said, somehow what I had pictured Abraham as is different as we've dived into God's word. Paul came to me one week as he was working on the life of Joseph. And Paul said to me, as he was going through Joseph's life, he said, for the first time in all my years, he says, I've come to realize the prominence of Jacob in this story. It's not I am the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Joseph. I am the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. And through all of Jacob's mess, God says, I am your God. To the point where one time, as he wrestles with them, he says, I am going to permanently mark you. You're going to walk with a limp. And right before he meets his brother, where he's terrified to meet his brother, and he does so so that Jacob learns to rely on God. And at the end of his life, you can see that with the words that Jacob is ushering. And that's what God wants to do with us. God is saving a people to himself. Through Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob, you see the lineage of Messiah continue until finally Christ is born at just the right time. Christ enters into history, and as he enters into history, he's born of a virgin, lives a perfect life. He never sins. At the end of his life, he chooses to give his life up for us on the cross, the wrath of the Father being poured out on him, and as the wrath of the Father is being poured out on him, he becomes our sin. That's what Corinthians says. The one who had no sin became our sin so that we could become his righteousness, and for any who believe on him, for any who receive him, it's out of John 1, who trust in his name, he gives the right to what? To become children of God. That's the glorious good news that anytime, anywhere, anyone on this planet turns to God, God gloriously, wondrously saves them. Is that not good news? 
It doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. It doesn't matter what they've done. Whenever someone turns to him, God saves them. God saves them. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful in providing a redeemer, a savior. Because on the cross, he fully took our sin so that he could fully grant us his righteousness. So that when Paul is penning the words of Romans, he can say there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. As you stand before the Father, the Father won't condemn you because he condemned his Son in your stead. And all of a sudden you realize how great God is, how amazing he is, his goodness and his grace. Paul and I uh, and Marcio this week met with a couple of men. We were connecting with them. The one gentleman is a man who's converted to Christianity from the Muslim faith. He was raised in Damascus when he was 12 years old. He was sitting in his grandparents' room, and they had a library. And he went over to the library, and he began to look, and he found a book. And the book was a book of religious stories, and in it was Jesus walking on the water as he told and recounted his conversion story. And as he was reading the story of Jesus walking on the water, and as the, not, sorry, sorry, Jesus in the boat, not walking on the water, different story. Jesus in the boat, um, and, the, and the sea just ravaging around the disciples, and he's asleep in the boat, and, and uh, they think that they're going to drown, and Jesus is on the boat, he's asleep. Uh, all of a sudden, as he's there reading the story, and they wake Jesus up, don't you care if we drown? And he gets up, Jesus, and he calms the wind and the waves down, and then after calming the wind of the waves down, he says that they have little faith. And he said, I, I, at 12 years old, I was struck by that because as a Muslim, growing up, growing up in a very strict Muslim family, he said, I, I was struck by that because I thought, what kind of a prophet is this? We believe as the Muslims that he's a prophet. What kind of a prophet could do this? And he's talking about faith in him. You don't put your faith in a prophet, you put your faith in Allah. How is this in one of our stories? How can we believe that this is Jesus the prophet? Because he's saying he's more than a prophet, but he was 12. And that hung with him. He grew up in a family that believed in black magic, which, of course, by the Muslims, if you know that, is an acceptable magic. And so they would constantly perform magic. And then as he grew later into his teen years, he was at the point where the Lord just spoke to him. The Lord kept telling him every day for a year, you are not a Muslim. You are part of my family. He said he thought he was hallucinating. He thought he was like people that had schizophrenia. He said he couldn't understand what was going on. I mean, no Christian witness in his life. But this voice in his head every day, you are not a Muslim. You are part, you don't belong to the Muslim. You are part of my family. He said for the whole year until finally at the end of that year, he gave his life to Christ. Met with the pastor, began to still with, be with his family because they would execute him if they found this out. And twice they tried. And his family would say to him at that point in time when they gathered for their seances, there's now an interference that's coming from you. Something has happened to you. And finally, he confessed to them what the Lord had done in his life. His brother locked him in his room for three days, each day going to his room, asking him to, re to, to renounce his faith in Jesus. But he wouldn't do it. On the third day, he said, you know I will kill you on the third day. His mom let him out of his room. He then went back into his room and broke the door down as if he had broken out so that they wouldn't take it out on his mom, and he fled but his dad sent the jihad after him to kill him. There's a huge story with this. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up captured at one point in time. He ends up tortured. 
And through it, he's remained faithful to the Lord, now growing in his faith, then eventually going to Bible college and serving the Lord in that capacity. Because the Lord can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. Do you believe that? God can reach into anyone's heart that he so chooses to reach in because he's God. And so when all of humanity was spiraling into mess, God raised up Noah. And then as it continued to spiral into mess, God raised up Abraham. And even though they were sinning against him, God chose powerfully through these men to use them as part of his redemptive history in bringing Messiah. And if you're sitting here today and you know the Lord, he's done this with you. Is that not good news? He's reached into your heart and he's saved you. He's allowed you to know him, to be in this amazing relationship with him. And then we have the privilege, the opportunity to take what he shared with us and share it with others. I'm going to put a slide up right now. As staff was meeting the last few weeks to plan the fall, these are some of the things that will be happening. These are some of the ministries that will be reaching out to others in, in their lives. Into, on Tuesday nights, you know, Enjoy Life, which is our ministry that Marsh and Eleni run, uh, to those that are Portuguese-speaking. And it's been a mental health wellness group with people that are struggling um, and that will be starting again on Tuesday soon. Tuesday nights, we'll have Kids Zone and we'll have Junior High, which is both for our kids. A letter will go out about that later this week, as well as for kids from the neighborhood or friends and family that you know who might want to know who Jesus is. We'll be using Gospel uh, Project curriculum again in Kids Zone there. Futsal, which is a new ministry for us right here in the gym, where we'll be playing sports. It's a, it's a soccer-like game. Is that fair, Marcio? And reaching out to adults. Wednesday, where we'll have our junior high drop-in, that's likely going to shift from that day. Uh, but after school for some kids. And then the hub will start up again this year following protocols. But on Wednesday afternoons, um, often serving some who are more marginalized and struggling with a meal and then a study in God's Word. Ping-pong ministry that's going to start again uh, this year, where Marcio is going to show us how... In, the, the goal at ping-pong is to beat Marcio. I'll just say it. And so his ministry in leading people to Christ at ping pong is, is you have to beat him and then he shares Jesus with you because in your defeat, Jesus can be your victory. Um, senior high drop-in uh, that will happen that evening uh, after a senior high Bible study and coffee's on on Friday mornings. And obviously there's other ministries. There's community group ministries. There's young adults. More ministries that are focusing on believers. But these are a number of our ministries focusing on non-believers and those around us that don't know Christ. And then, of course, we have our neighbors who live beside us here, many of whom who don't know Christ in North Atlantic. And we pray for them and pray for them faithfully. And you can pray for them specifically this week. Friday night, there was a fire in the building on the fourth floor. And so that triggered the uh, sprinkler system in that apartment unit. It was a contained thing. But of course, if you go into the office space, don't really go in today. But there's a whole remediation crew that's removing drywall all the way down on both sides of the building so that there's no mold behind it um, and, uh, and are looking after I was here yesterday for a while. They've got the whole thing under, under control, right, and looking after it. But, but for some of the tenants, it's created anxiety and, and challenges. You can pray for the person whose apartment the fire was in. You can pray for those um, who have been affected by it emotionally and just ask God's blessing. Yesterday I was here as tea time starting. I said to some of the indwell stuff that Pastor Marcy would be happy to be meeting with people and talking to them if that's what they're looking for. But you could pray for our witness there. And then maybe this morning a name of someone comes to mind, someone that you know, a friend, a family member, someone, you know, one of your own kids, uh, maybe a brother or sister. We were with a family gathering with my family last night. There's family members at my house last night that don't know the Lord. 
And we just want to take a few minutes and pray. God, would you save? God, would you save? God, as you've shown yourself through history to be the God of salvation, who in spite of our sin would choose to call people to yourself, to allow them to love you, to bring Messiah so that anyone who receives him, anyone who believes in his name, you give the right to be a child of God. I mean, that you would so specifically call someone in a Muslim country a year. Could you imagine that? A year of hearing the Lord's voice. You are not a Muslim. You are part of my family. You are not a Muslim. You are part of my family. I mean, this man's almost my age now, and he tells the story of when he was 18, as if it was yesterday. God loves to save. So what I'm going to ask you to do is this, is, is if you're uncomfortable doing this, you can just bow your head and pray silently on your own. But if you are comfortable doing this, would you turn to some people around you? Just quickly share the name of someone you want prayed for or a ministry you want to pray for and ask God to powerfully save through that ministry or for those people. So if you're comfortable doing that, turn to people around you, stay distant as you do so as we did on Tuesday nights we gather for prayer and just pray. And if you're uncomfortable doing that, um, you could just silently pray on your own. Go. Go.